kind of thing that makes the average citizen puke and look at this system and say, yuck, you know, what's going on? The red countries are the countries we sell arms to. The green countries are the countries where we wash our money. We are more than just one coin. We create the world around this coin. Come. Invention. Come. Come. The evil has gone. And hello, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Yogi Paywall, and I'm joined by... Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And this week we have a fantastic episode on a Canadian businessman whose links are in fashion and racing. I'll tell you what, the other episode's pure dog shit. This one, <laughs> top of the line. Yeah, that's right. All the other episodes... Uh, do you mean all the other episodes or just the Every w- single one of them, the, pure dog yes. shit. Uh, we never said I have a good episode for you because we never did uh, until now. Until now, uh, this week we're going to be talking about Lawrence Stroll, a Canadian billionaire businessman who is part owner of the Racing Point Formula One team and uh, also has made most of his wealth through fashion brands. Uh, he has uh, two kids, Chloe and Lance, who we're g- going to discuss more at length in the near future. Andy has done some great research about Lance Stroll. I've done some incredible research. Um, Sean could not join us because he has been exiled to Guantanamo Bay. Uh, <laughs> we wish we were kidding, but uh, if you like Sean, he's off the show. He complained about the drops too much, and now you know what happens when he complained about drops. So we reported him to leftism for being a Nazi and uh, <laughs> just let that problem take care of itself. Correct. Um, so, Lawrence Stroll was born in 1959, July 11th. So, for all you July 11th kids, have fun. Uh, you got a birthday friend. <laughs> He's got a net worth of $2.6 billion as of February 2019. And he was born to a Jewish family in Montreal, Quebec. The son of Leo Strolovich. Uh, he changed his name to Lawrence Stroll. Self-hating Jew much? <laughs> Why do you think people do that, Andy? Why do you think like, they just... Uh, it's easier to say. Stroll over Strolovich. I, I did, I did um, mispronounce it several times before I got to it. <laughs> you know, you want, you want to streamline that name if you're going to get fortune, uh, fame and fortune. The, the Strolovich, it's, it's too much. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think more it was like less... Stroll a bitch. It <laughs> <laughs> seems like he was more removing Polishness from it than the, the Jewishness. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I will say this, that when it come to researching this episode, uh, anytime I looked up billionaire stroll, it was a lot of billionaires with young girlfriends <laughs> and them having frowns on their faces. A <laughs> uh, whole bunch of uh, billionaires on the beach, uh, shirtless with man tits, and thin, beautiful women tolerating it for no real reason except for financial gain. I mean, if, if you have a name like Strolovich, I imagine that everywhere you go, people are asking you why you put that screen door on your submarine. <laughs> So, um, Montreal billionaire Lawrence Stroll, uh, he followed in his father's footsteps in making a fortune with the clothing industry. The way about how he did this was that in the late 80s, he got the Women and Children's License of Pierre Cardin. Now, if you don't know this brand, apparently in in the late 80s... Are we already going into the Jeffrey Epstein stuff? <laughs> uh, no, not, no, unfortunately, no Epstein connections on okay. this one. 
Not yet. No, there, there are no options. Is there anyone who gets a what a ladies and children's license? He gets the license to sell Pierre Cardin uh, clothes for children and women in, in Canada. And at this time, Pierre Cardin just was selling licenses up the ass. He was the kiss of selling licenses at this point. In the late 90s, he, according to this article from High Snobriety, uh, he had 940 licenses with different people. Uh, at the en- end of his career, career in 2011, he was like, I want to sell my fucking business for a billion dollars. But the reason why he couldn't do it was because some people thought the actual value was closer to $200 million. Uh, the reason why I was so conflicted because nobody knew how much money Pierre Cardin makes based off the licenses. So what do these licenses mean? What's going on with the licenses? Basically, it works like this. So for the longest time in fashion, you as an individual were going to make a fashion brand. Let's say Andy Palmer is making Palmer shirts. That's his whole fucking thing, right? Mm-hmm. Palmer hires uh, people to sew up children. the shirts. Children. To sew up the shirts, to put his name on the labels, and all that jazz. Then he has to hire, he has to find a store that's going to sell it. But for them to sell it, he has to sell them the license. So they can make money on the product and sell it, by, but they have okay. to buy the license to do that. Okay, so I got, my, my shirts are so good, someone needs a Palmer license to sell the Palmer shirts. Precisely. And that's how I make sure that people aren't selling mm-hmm. fucking knockoff Palmer yeah. shirts. They want to use the real Palmer brand. Right. Gotta get that license. And so, in the late '80s, Lawrence Stroll had the license of Pierre Cardin for, uh, I think it was w- women's handbags and children clothes. So he's selling uh, Pierre Cardin products in Canada, most mm-hmm. likely in Montreal, in the in the late '80s. There's a video on YouTube, which is the business of fashion, Babson Connect Worldwide from 2018, and it has three people. It is El McPherson. Lawrence uh, Stroll, the billionaire recovering, and Tommy Hilfiger. And it's actually introduced by Chloe Stroll. And uh, Palmer, would you mind playing how she introduced the whole piece? So my name is Chloe Stroll, and I'm a graduate of the class of 2017. Batson is a school that embodies clear values and goals for its students. In our first year, we learned an acronym, ETNA, Entrepreneur. All right, so I, I just want the listeners to remember that voice for the near future when we bring her up again. But she, she's well practiced in um, what I assume is handing out the sorority sister of the year award. She's is this Babson College, B A B S O N. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of them actually. Yeah. Uh, they're founded by this um, uh, stock stock millionaire from the twenties. Yeah, it seems like a lot of uh, rich kids go to this school. All three of these people have kids at this Babson? school. Yeah. Rich Babson? kids? Babson? <laughs> yeah. Rich kids going to Babson? Were you trying to imply? It sounds like a rich kid name. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, it was the name of a rich person. I, I do want to uh, compliment uh, Chloe's uh, presentation here. She's uh, barely looking at the notes. Um, <laughs> Play the rest of it. Entrepreneurial thought and action. Throughout the next four years, this acronym would constantly be said in order to inspire, encourage, and remind its students that anything can be accomplished as long as you put your entrepreneurial thought into action. Holding a microphone, even though there's one attached to the podium. And getting feedback. Yeah, Babson doesn't teach you how to fucking talk into a microphone. (laughs) 
she has less microphone skills than we do on the show. Her face said, we didn't practice the feedback in rehearsal. <laughs> Later on in that video, I'll, the first time Lauren Stroll types to speak, his uh, mic pack doesn't work, and so he ends up using the microphone she's holding as well. Uh, Babson uh, may be great for uh, entrepreneur kids, uh, very bad for AV. <laughs> um so in this video, Lawrence Stroll later on mentions that in 1989, he was bidding on a car, and he was bidding against this guy, Ralph Lauren, of Polo Ralph Lauren fame. But at that time, he was just a dude that wanted to make shirts and, and was an American designer who was not respected in the European market. So he was already a guy with some money. Lawrence Stroll? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, his dad was in fashion, and well, basically, fashion for a long time was either... You buy shirts made for peasants, or you buy the finest clothes that have ever existed. Right. There wasn't really a middle ground. I mean, you know... Hmm. People want that peasant look now. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, and one thing that we're going to discuss with uh, Lawrence Stroll's partner is how he figured out the market demand being uh, via baby boomers. But going back to this Babson video, at one point, Lawrence Stroll mentions that he's bidding on a car against Ralph Lauren. And Ralph Lauren wins the bid on the car, but Lauren Stroll gets a license to sell Ralph Lauren clothes in Canada. And that's how you got connected with Ralph Lauren, as you said yesterday. Is that correct? Yes. I, <clears throat> yes, we actually met over <clears throat> buying a car. Um, he, him and I were negotiating for the same car about, uh, actually, exactly 40 years ago. Um, he ended up with the car, and I ended up with the license for Canada. Okay. <laughs> In hindsight, a good trade. Good deal. Now, at this time, there weren't a lot... Because he sucked his dick after the bidding <laughs> was over. No, Andy, he ate his butt, okay? <laughs> We're pretty clear on the show what happens here. No one's sucking dick for anything anymore, but they eat that butt to get that cash. Business rule number one, you want to make it to the top, you got to give a strong van an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> So then uh, Ralph Lauren wanted to have Lawrence develop uh, his line in Europe. And the way that this happened was that Silas Chow is a Chinese third-generation textile and clothing manufacturer whose family owns Novel Denim. And they, they in one article, it mentions that Silas Chow's dad... And <laughs> Just imagining someone being like, wow, this denim, it's so novel. <laughs> Um, Silas Chow's is some novel denim. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> I mean, how often do you see denim and think, wow, that's novel? <laughs> you could do worse. Sure. First company names? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would probably never say that of denim. No, that's true. That is a paradigm shifting jacket and jean combo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Novel denim does certainly <laughs> add an importance to denim that denim has never deserved. Well, distressed denim, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not... Oh, acid wash. <laughs> so Silas Chow's dad and Lawrence Stroll's dad have a connection. And when Lawrence Stroll tries to establish the polo... Ralph Lauren line in Europe. He contacts Silas Chow to be his business partner. And in 1989, they build Sportswear Holdings Limited. And they make uh, Ralph Lauren from an unknown American brand to a uh, mainstream success. They they take it from a, a, a guy being like, I want my shirts to be cool to uh, we're going to sell your shirts all around the world. And when this happens, um, they get the 
uh, eyes and ears of every other American um, designer to try and back them because they see how much money that uh, they made Ralph Lauren. They later on partner with Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, Steven, you got some information on this? Yeah, so in 1989, Cho teams up with Stroll and forms Sportswear Holdings, like you said, and they acquire... One of their acquisitions is Tommy Hilfiger Corporation, and they eventually spin it off as an IPO on the stock exchange, which goes reasonably well. Uh, It's a fairly successful IPO. That's in 1992, and... Cho is a major shareholder. He serves as the company chairman. I think it was his idea to go to Spencer's and tell him, hey, what if you sold a t-shirt that says Tommy's middle finger? <laughs> Which finger? Given exactly. him the bird. And that's how the 2000s were born. So basically what Lawrence and Silas do is that they acquire these brands and they acquired... Uh, Ralph Lauren, they acquire Tommy Hilfiger. Later on, they would acquire acquire Michael Kors. They would also acquire Asprey and Garand, which are were the centuries-old British companies making luxury jewelry and leather. They take a whole bunch of brands that have name recognition, and they figure out how to uh, sell them internationally. And one way that they choose to do this is that these brands at one point were luxury brands. So, you know, Tommy Hilfiger and... Ralph Lauren were a brand brand type that Tommy Hilfiger talks in that Babson College uh, panel called Premium. And before this, you didn't have a premium uh, apparel brand. It used to just be uh, cheap shit or fucking expensive shit. There was no there was no middle ground. They created the gap. And what that would mean is that this is brand name clothes at affordable prices. So what Lawrence and Silas do very, very intelligently is they take clothes that were once previously, let's say, you know, suits that were, in Michael Kors' case, selling for thousands of dollars. And they start selling the back, the back lot of Michael Kors' suits for $200, $300, while making identical suits from Silas Chow's and the things that were costing them you know, 20 bucks to make potentially and selling those suits at the same price point, basically duping the consumers to thinking that they were buying a higher quality garment when in reality they're buying a premium affordable clothing. So it's not technically bad, but it cheapens the entire brand as as we know it. And now, Stephen, you had some information about Apex? Well, actually, just to jump back to that, yeah. like, so how did they, how did the, the people who paid 3000 Mm-hmm. How are they feeling when they see almost the same suit or maybe even the same suit selling for three to four hundred? Those people think that they got they're gonna get a great deal because they also bought that back lot when it started selling at three hundred dollars a pop. So at, at first, the first move is to sell the c- current stock that the the brand has at a cheaper price. And the brands themselves would believe that that's, that's this is a loss, but they're guaranteed because Silas Chow's end of end of the factory deal will manufacture the closings that look the same but are a cheaper fabric. I'm guessing what the people who the the rich people who are buying the three thousand dollar things are thinking is like, hey, I wanted clothes made of children, not by children. <laughs> <laughs> are they like, uh, are they getting it first, and then later when it goes out of style? They sell the remainder of the inventory at three to four hundred. I don't know what the people that are that bought those luxury brands at a high cost are really thinking, but I'll say this: people that buy clothes that expensive, they don't really 
they're not connoisseurs of the garment. They just want to wear expensive shit. So to them, it's not about like, oh, I bought this suit that's specifically this person from this this area. It's no, I bought a three thousand dollar suit. And but the difference between a suit that's three thousand dollars and a suit set four hundred dollars is really not that much. I mean, yeah, know, this is pretty demonstrative of that, right? Yeah. So, you know, basically, what Lawrence and Silas figure out is that we can take advantage of the brand name and then cheapen it by making it a luxury brand to a premium ba- brand without people really even realizing. I mean, the same thing happened with Calvin Klein, who, mm. uh, incidentally, I have the same birthday as, but that's not the point. The main thing is that, like, they start... November 19th, 1989. <laughs> That's right. Calvin Klein and I, same age, same same year. No, Popped but I, out, same minute. But that's the... <laughs> this, I am Calvin Klein. Um, when it comes to fashion, you're rarely buying the clothes itself. You're also buying the idea of what the clothes represent. And so Silas and Lawrence figure out that there is a market demand, which is the baby boomers of America, that have very strict uh, fashion ideas. Uh, Silas Chow, in an interview with the Wharton College, talks about this, where he says that in he's been riding the baby boomer wave since the uh, early 90s. Basically, when they were working with Ralph Lauren, the baby boomers wanted to look like fucking hipsters, laid back and cool. I mean, it, it seems like he figured out it's a bullshit market and rich people are dumb. And... Uh yeah, that's yeah. a long and short. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, basically, uh, in the mid-90s, Silas Chow was like, the baby boomers wanted to like be cool, but be seem like laid back. So Tommy Hilfiger was was what was hot. And then in the early to mid-2000s, they wanted to <laughs> seem like they were rich again, so they started buying Michael Kors shit. I mean, from Silas Chow's perspective, of course, he made all the correct decisions to make himself the billions of dollars that he made. But the reality is, is that they just made clothes that were okay and... The reason why you go to a mall today and you're like, man, these brands are so reputable. And then you're like, but this clothes feel like shit. It's because of people like Lawrence Stroll and Silas Chow who took the branding recognition and then cheapened it to make a profit from it. Okay. So they're like, they created like, an, they effectively created a new price point. Yeah. And with the, that. With the premium versus uh, luxury. So at first people are like, this, this is like good shit for a cheap cost. And then they buy a whole bunch of it. And then basically within five to six years, Stroll and Silence via uh, the Sportswear Holding Limited Company sell all their shares and move on to the next thing. So by the time the consumers figure out, oh, no, this brand has been cheapened, the, 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 you know, Stroll and Chow are gone. You know, this reminds me of um, it, there, there was this Netflix show about true crime where they would like follow the first episode is pretty cool they followed uh or they traced guns all the way back to like these guys who would make uh off-brand like glocks in the philippines oh really and like uh with fake serial numbers and how they get all the way into the united states is like uh fake guns and uh, or is i mean they're real guns but you know untraceable and then they had another ep, and it it kind of showed you know how all these all these different kind of pernicious forces right. working together. And then they had another one that was about uh, counterfeiters. And in that one, it's just so. I actually, I probably have already talked about this on here, but you just uh, 
the whole time watching it, you just root for the counterfeiters sure. because it's such a bullshit market <laughs> where it's like, oh, no, they're, if just anyone can slap a label on these bags right, and right. sell them, it's cheapening the value of these bags. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, it's sort of like the fake diamonds. Yeah. Or you're just like rooting for people growing diamonds and stuff. Yeah. They, they can't even tell if it's the real one. Well, it's good. well, yeah, they're like growing real diamonds, even. It's just they're not, you know, it's like, oh, the value of diamonds was, you know, because a child soldier <laughs> dug it up. Well, and, like, you know, we're talking about uh, counterfeit or fraudulent uh, bags in this case. And it's like what Stroll and Chow do is essentially the same thing. All they have no. is the license from the brand itself, and they've proven to be profitable via uh, Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger by expanding the brand overseas. And so people are like, oh, I trust you to do it. And then they take it and then cheapen it and then resell it to people and then, then sell off their shares. That's a real shame when they bust those shops in like little flea markets. Right, right. They're selling the fake ones. Well, like I bought a pair of New Balances, and they are the model number nine nine seven. I think is the is is the technical New Balance number. But then I bought the one that's nine nine seven. I just bought some nine nine eights. I bought nine nine seven R's, and there's nine nine seven R's and H's, and those two are made in China supposedly. The I hype... bought nine elevens. <laughs> I bought a uh, nine nine eight X's. Why are we focused on these That's stupid? Several numbers? letters ahead of you. I'm trying to fucking talk about how. I'm just flexing my big dick, bro. <laughs> you, you got no big dick uh, in this conversation. Tower Tower Seven. Uh. Look it up. <laughs> tower Seven shoes. Look it up. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, basically, Lawrence Stroll and uh, Silas Chow have taken advantage of the market of fashion being bullshit. And with Silas Chow's familiar... By the way, none of these people would make this money unless their families were directly in fashion. So, oh, so yeah. It sounds like they were rich to start with, and then so, just yeah. got more rich. Yeah, basically. Chow's grandfather already owned textile factories. Yeah. So and like in that Babson uh, panel, literally all three of them, Tommy Hilfiger, Al McPherson and uh, Lawrence Stroll laugh at the fact that none of them would have gone to Babson for young people who are going into industry. And what would what would you share with them that is a must that they need to do? Uh, that's a very interesting question, because uh, all three of us haven't been to school. I mean, did you go to university? Uh, there's no way I would have yeah. been able to been accepted in a university. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect to the Babson crew, I was not a good student, so I started my business when I was 17. There you go. And Lawrence, as you said, uh, had started his very early, and I left school when I finished and had aspirations to be a lawyer and found myself, you know, uh, running different sorts of businesses throughout the last um time as a model but which i love when people that a college is saying these guys are smart immediately go we would have never been here <laughs> like i i feel every time that when that happens that every person in that audience should be like i guess i should just get up and get the fuck out of here if i want to be like you why am i sitting listening to you that's kind of i mean i only know about babson just because they actually they actually do have kind of a cool um statistics in like like math and statistics department, and a great public speaking department. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yes. in 
my case, it was human rights. She tapped the mic it just also then. Gave us the opportunity to expand this is the voice of someone who's never had to convince anyone of anything in her entire <laughs> life. <laughs> you think this is bad? Wait till you hear her hit pop song coming up in a moment. <laughs> oh, good. Um, do you want to talk about uh, the Apex real quick, Steven? They eventually, we, as we know, he sells all of his shares in 2006 to a UK private equity firm called Apex mm-hmm. for $1.6 billion. Wow. Apex ended up instantly selling that brand four years later to U.S. retail apparel giant Philips Van, Hous- Van Housen, Van Housen? Mm-hmm. for $3 billion. Uh, you know, I'm sure that we could probably get into Apex and they very likely... This is a, I mean, it's a private equity company, so they right. probably laid people off, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> loaded them with debt and then sold them for $3 billion to Van Housen. Um, Tommy Hilfinger ended up generating worldwide sales revenue uh, recently, and I think it was in 2016, of $6.5 billion, making it one of the top 10 U.S. fashion brands. So... Pretty good exit strategy for Cho, and also the private equity company Apex. Right, you know, like to make their brand seem as successful as it can be, uh, Lawrence and or Stroll and Chow uh, decided to lease uh, the first three floors in one of Trump's building in two thousand two to display their stores. I mean, you know, this entire. Everyone you think that sucks that has money and is in fashion and in New York is somehow connected to Stroll and Chow. Between Donald Trump to Epstein to fucking Dershowitz to all of them. Fucking they're all somehow connected to the fashion world. And it's because that shit goes hand in hand, baby. You can't have models without money. If you ever want to know, by the way, if you're in New York and want to know how poor you dress, uh, (laughs) walk into any store within about two blocks of the Trump building. (laughs) And just look at how the people attending that store look at you. Oh, yeah. It's because it, it's it's just this look of like, you shouldn't be here and I need <laughs> you to get out because you're going to make the customers right. uncomfortable. My your, fair- your mere presence is reducing our brand <laughs> to, like, gap levels right now. Well, that was like... And it's I, like, well, I, I just want to look at, like, the green uh, or the chess set where everything's a handcrafted vase. <laughs> I mean, like, the fashion world is bullshit, but, like, the uh, CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch a few years ago was like, we don't donate our clothes eventually because we don't want Abercrombie Fitch to be on homeless people. We burn them instead. Right. They like slash things up before throwing them away. Yeah. Shit like that. Right. <laughs> so no one else can yeah. use them. Right. Like that's the level of fucking brand protect. I mean like IP protection aside here because even that's bullshit. But I don't want my shirt to be on a person that needs a shirt because if a poor people. Yeah. Per- if a poor person's wearing my shirt, then my company's going to look bad. Well, it's it's the height of, of, of just the the complete bullshit of um, fashion. Right. Um, and when it comes to fashion, like even his wife, Claire Ann Stroll, uh, she has a brand called Callens. Uh, she sells like hooded cashmere sweatshirts and track pants. Uh, guess how much? Her shit costs. Steven, you want to give a guess? How much of what? Uh, a cashmere sweatshirt, sweatshirt, and track pants. 
in track pants? Just just throw out a number, Stephen. Four hundred dollars. Right. What about you, Andy? What do you think? Eighty-three dollars. <laughs> Solid guess is both of you, but it's more than a thousand dollars for these pieces of clothing. That's that's what his wife does. She's like, I saw a need in athleisure, which is a huge uh, new growing market between like uh, Lululemon and or er, er, uh, uh, er, uh, oh yeah, Under I, Armour. I own Lululemon stock in my fake stock market game. That's right. You can, you can play with us on uh, Best Brokers. Join us as we lose money in the stock Some market. Merging market and people who are so bored at their jobs that they run marathons. <laughs> And uh, do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so you think to yourself, all right, Yogi, these people cheapened American clothing brands, but are they really it's that? It's the fight that desk body <laughs> market. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is, though. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in that uh, uh, Wharton uh, piece with uh, Silence Cho, he talks about, like, you need to know where the uh, middle class of America shopping and then you can make a dick load of money. And where is this theoretical middle class in America currently? They're running from their demons, that's, and they need some comfortable clothes to do that. Right. They're lonely as fuck, and they need to wear some shit to run around a whole bunch. Because capitalism, like capitalism makes you think you have excess energy when really you have shame. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're all being poisoned by their food, uh, and they're fighting the uphill obesity battle. <laughs> When I was doing research for this episode, I found one article that was a link in Bing that talked about Gucci being like looked at for sweatshop use, right? And then when you try to click it, immediately the link was gone. And then so I tried to copy the text over from uh, that 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 uh, post and then try and put it in in Google and in DuckDuckGo and a whole bunch of stuff. And the, the post itself is Gucci accused of running sweatshops in China. Uh, sweatshops in Huang Xiaoming was the first Asian face of Gucci in 2008. Gucci stands accused of running sweatshop at its flagship store in Shenzhen. Conditions were allegedly so bad, two women had abortions after being forced to stand up to dot dot dot. Now, if you try and look that up in Google, literally you get dummy bullshit links. Like links that when you click, it's like random words and numbers. Like all China sweatshop allegations on the internet have been scrubbed. And the thing that's so frustrating is that although I couldn't find any specific instances where Novel Denim, the company, the textile company that Silas Chow belongs to, I know that you can't have a billion dollar fashion empire in China without having some of your factories deal in these in these ways. Now, it seems like a brand transition from Gucci Gang to Gucci Triad. <laughs> Now, although I cannot say that... Gucci triads, I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although, technically, Novel Denim has not been accused of anything we're about to mention, uh, Stephen looked at some other denim practices. And the reality is, if you're making denim in China, you're dealing with this shit that Stephen's about to mention. Well, so, uh, one fashion trend, obviously, is uh, the distressed jeans look. Right. Where they just like deliberately make it look old and bad mm-hmm. because that's good now. <laughs> of course. And um, Wait, that's still that good? I thought that died in like 2005. Oh, oh it no. came back though. Oh, yeah. Oh, it came, came back. back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now it's a vintage. Especially in Asia. Sure. That yeah. makes sense. So they, Is it a big thing where like the crotch is worn out? Because I think I'm already <laughs> ready for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that becomes a fashion. Uh, 
but they they the way that the most sweatshops in the Southeast Asia and China accomplish this is through what's called sandblasting, mm-hmm. where they just have people who use they just manually use these machines, these sandblasting machines to distress the clothing by shooting sand at it at really fast velocities. Right. And so, you know, it fucks it up in a pleasant looking way. That sounds like a fun job, actually. Yeah, but it's actually, it can be poisonous because the sand can get in your lungs. Right. And so if you have this like silicate particulate matter, it's like virtually impossible for it to get out of your lungs once it gets in there. That sounds fun with breathing protection. (laughs) Yeah, like even with like the the little bullshit mask they have, oh, often yeah. enough it, it doesn't. In. Yeah, it still gets in. Yeah, if you're fucking hurling sand so fast that it's damaging fucking jeans. I mean, jeans mm. were developed because they were strong enough for fucking miners of gold. Like that's how <laughs> it became popular in the U.S. Incidentally, those um like gold mining and stuff like uh, silicosis, which is what the condition is called, is one of the oldest um like workplace related um diseases that uh under capitalism like the like they're diagnosed as problems so for, for factories so china's ripped jeans <laughs> is a throwback to the <laughs> labor conditions that are dealing with the gold yeah buyers. so uh what was i gonna say um i lost my train of thought i was just too funny steven my throwback capitalism joke <laughs> was just so good so the Factories, the the types of factories that would be supplying novel denim with these uh, distressed jeans right. are probably doing some sandblasting. What if they get kind of frisky one day and they like have a sandblaster fight, you know, like with like you would with hoses, but then it rips off one guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> these things they shoot out pretty fast though, so it's not just like uh, like a leaf blower or something. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, yeah, no, it ripped her face off. Yeah. Yeah. It shred them. I mean, that's probably happening. Not on purpose. Just, just but some horsing around at the office. <laughs> I don't Horse think. Play. Oh, I, I know what I was going to say. Um, they, I looked up the weight in the report. They yeah. have, like, some wage rates. Right. And uh, the sandblasters actually get paid more. But I think it's because they keep losing people from poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, yeah, like, a sense. hazard premium to it. Right. So they get paid the equivalent of, uh, I think it was... 5,000 yuan per month, which Mm. is like $800 a month, which is pretty good, actually, for laborers in China. Sure. Well, yeah. Mainland China. Yeah, a job that can rip your face off, you get paid slightly more at. Yeah, so it's it's actually pretty dangerous. Yeah, I am not uh, surprised by that. You know, I I wouldn't mind uh, emailing uh, Matt from Asia Tours about... Uh, what Silas's uh, reputation in China is. I will say that we will do another episode about Silas and the Chow family empire because he has a daughter who he is planning on uh, letting her inherit all of his uh, business connections, and she's already on the way to becoming a fashion magnate herself. And in that Babson interview... Uh, Lawrence Stroll would like his daughter to tr- take up the fashion mantle because he's currently now sold all of his fashion assets and is going into a more uh, reputable uh, industry, uh, private equity. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Stroll decided that uh, the fashion world wasn't cutthroat enough. He wanted to go into private equity. I want to profit off of ambulances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, one one more thing on the silica uh-huh. silicosis. Uh, so they in mainland China, the CCP... CCP doesn't allow like 
they they have like official nationwide unions mm-hmm. that you're automatically enrolled in that just have like this distant unaccountable leadership sure that so they've been trying to get them to recognize the silicosis problem but it's slow going like because they don't uh wait so not, they have not, the afl cio over there no the was, AFL-CIO. Uh, I, z- I zinged the AFL-CIO <laughs> in there. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, that, whoosh. <laughs> uh, they just have, like... You're right. It is kind of like the CIO, AFL-CIO in that the leadership is largely unaccountable to rank-and-file members' wishes. Mm-hmm. So they you can't have... They've outlawed independent... Independently created and run trade unions. Mm for the most part, in mainland China. So, like, the exact groups that would have a chance of effectively organizing around this issue, mm-hmm. you can't do it there. Hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So this entire, this this thing you mentioned with the silica sand, like, they can't fucking take that out because they, you can't organize behind well, they, it? Well, they don't it need to. It just makes it harder. Because mm-hmm. they're a communist nation um, that is built on the foundation of worker rights, and so uh, it's 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 really just redundant to have any kind of effective, um, uh, People that fight you know, for labor representation. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, you have, like, this huge nationwide trade federation that in theory represents the workers, but in practice, like I mean, you're not going to be able to get uh, get a hold of those leaders to fight individual cases of silicosis right. in these sweatshops as easily as you would if you were able to form your own union. Makes sense. Now you're thinking to yourselves, "Oh, Yogi, come on! Just because Chinese people are having their face blown off by sand, this family can't be that bad, can they?" Well, I was thinking that. Yeah, me too. I will say this. Uh, Lawrence Stroll has a yacht that's 200 million euros. Oh, you mean 240 million dollars? That's right. Incidentally, in 2015, there's a uh, very sad Daily Mail article about how Canadian billionaire Lawrence Stroll, behind Michael Kors, will be asked to review safety procedures. You know, because he just kind of made a mistake. And then what was that mistake? Uh, A British deckhand 22-year-old drowned while it was en route to pick up Catherine Zeta Jones. Well, that's got to ruin your fucking day. <laughs> you know that that big test that you have to do picking up Catherine Zeta Jones with your yacht. Bec- yeah. I mean, it's very stressful because it's like oh, I got to pick up Catherine Zeta Jones, <laughs> and now this fucking kid drowned off my boat. She doesn't want to get on the boat after that. Yeah. You know she's afraid of ghosts. <laughs> um. The uh, uh, British employee, Michael Hanlon, was 22 years old. He he died because he was locked out of the 62-meter yacht after returning from a night out with friends. It, supposedly, he slipped to his death from the boat while trying to climb up an unofficial emergency entrance on the upper deck, which I don't know how the fuck that fucking happens, but he was in regular contact with his mom. Well, and- uh, yeah, here's how that fucking happens, <laughs> what you're about to say here. Yeah, he was in regular contact with his mom, and his mom says that... Leading up to when he had died, he had hardly had any sleep. He was just completely overworked and exhausted. His last messages to me were that he was looking forward to getting some sleep. Well, it's a happy ending then. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, because of Lawrence Stroll, this British deckhand who had only been working on as his dream job for two weeks, uh, drowned because they had to go pick up Catherine (laughs) Zeta-Jones. And Michael Douglas got throat cancer from eating her out too much (laughs) these are all real news stories 
So you're thinking to yourself, just, just <laughs> it's 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 definitely um uh an example of like uh you know one of those things where people rich people expect the people around them to work harder than um anything that's reasonable Mm -hmm. even if they're not getting paid you know maybe they're uh, the the guy working on the yacht this kid you know maybe he's getting paid 50 percent more than someone who works on like a ferry okay sure uh but because it's on a billionaire yacht the expectation is you will work yourself to death (laughs) and if you're not at least or if you're not working yourself to death you're getting as close to death as possible for my benefit and uh, and that's just the the mentality is they think that they're so important that anyone they pay has to like risk their lives to uh wait on them hand and foot especially these yacht based billionaires yeah the crews they hire yeah well what people actually don't know and this was an article in the new york times is that uh, Catherine zeta jones pussy has a lot of silica in it and so <laughs> michael douglas may have had a point when it came to eating her out with all of that microscopic silica that he was consuming you got silica <laughs> says let's <laughs> Let's stop bad-mouthing Catherine Zeta-Jones' pussy, okay? <laughs> this is not about is Catherine right Zeta-Jones' pussy. This is about uh. a dead child. So you're thinking to yourselves, well, what will the Stroll empire be? And I'll have you know, ladies and gentlemen, Chloe Stroll? Oh, she's not just a poor public speaker who graduated from Babson. Seven years ago, she put out a song. What was this music about? Oh. This is Chloe Stroll. It's called Surrender. It's a cover of the classic 80s <laughs> rock band. <laughs> Mommy's alright. Daddy's alright. Ugh. It's, right. uh, if you're wondering what the video looks like, it's, um, again, a rich girl who's never had to convince anyone of anything doing a Britney Spears impression. <laughs> And if you're wondering, yeah, the, the fathering style of Lawrence Stroll is clearly, uh, if I buy you a pony, will you shut up? <laughs> well, uh, when it comes to uh, equestrian values, he does have a son who he's paid his son's entire way into a Formula F1 racing career. Yeah, his son, his, uh, was it Lance That's Stroll. right, Lance Stroll. <laughs> By the way, these names, not good. <laughs> and not that Stroll bitch would have been better with Lance, but... Lance Stroll, Chloe Stroll. They sound like they're like bad Incredibles. Oh, do, why do rich people have to name their kids Chloe in a way that is as not... It, it, it's clearly spelled Chloa. Or <laughs> what? Like Chloe. Oh, C-H? It's C-H-L-O-E. Like that's... Uh, those Those are three con- consonants, like or a pair of consonants and then another one that can't be pronounced together i say take that h out you move that e in front of the l and then you get cleo and everyone knows everyone loves miss cleo it's just uh chloe is spelled wrong um anyway the, they got this dumbass son lance stroll who is apparently um he, he's being accused of uh being a pay racer which means his dad spent something like 80 million to and i, I didn't go too far into 
uh, Formula One racing politics. To I, 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 I didn't, I didn't dive very deep into it because. Um, so it, 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 it's, this... it's a weird world, but apparently, uh, uh, racing fans are pissed off at this phenomenon of um, pay racers who are basically people who have bought their way into the league, which instead of. Instead of meritocratically, I guess... Um, racing your way to the top. Yeah, racing your way to the top, you know... Uh, Aren't each of those cars, they cost like a million dollars? Oh, hey, hey, minimum, hey. I'm but sure. But some of those people proved to other rich people that they were good <laughs> enough to race, not were the fastest sperm from a rich person's nutsack to be a good racer. Well, yeah, oh, it's like saying he... You have to at least He have, paid his way into being the driver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you have to. I mean, I'm. I think his his dad paid like eighty million to to buy. I think a team, um, and this kid, his kid started go kart racing when he was ten. Which I don't know if it, you guys knew go kart kid, but uh, the kid no. on my block got a go kart, and he's like, and only I can drive it. It's like you already hate that kid. Um, <laughs> you had a go kart kid friend. Friends, at that oh, point, multiple? it was kind of stretching. No, not multiple. Uh-huh. No, he was just like, hey, I bet I could beat you in a race around the block in like, any way I can. And I'm like, um, what do you mean? He's like, I got a go-kart. And it's like, oh, can I drive it? No. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you suck. Um, huh. No, but so this guy, he, he's like racing go-karts from the age of 10. And he uh, won some races, which is probably something you can do when your dad's a billionaire and you can just spend all day driving around on the go-kart track at your house. And, um, from there he started doing formula three, which I guess is uh, shittier formula one. (laughs) Um, when he was like 17, he started doing that. And eventually he got into, uh, formula one racing. And, uh, if you look up Lance, stroll online uh the autocomplete would be like lance stroll bad driver <laughs> lance stroll uses blue shell yes yes <laughs> it, like well, it's funny you should mention that because in 2018 he was uh doing some practice runs for some french race and uh he smashed up his car on the curb like there's the the picture there's no i i couldn't find any video of this uh wreck but there's a picture of the crane holding up the car, and one of the wheels is, uh, I, I think Formula. I don't know much about Formula One cars, but I don't think the wheels are supposed to hang. <laughs> um, yeah, not from the vehicle in a way that doesn't allow you to drive the fucking car. Yeah, yeah. And his his quote was, "Oh man, yeah, I've, I I had a lot of trouble on this in PlayStation as well." <laughs> <laughs> He's like that curve always always gave me grief in the PlayStation. <laughs> and, oh man, that he really that <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was his actual quote, which pissed off um, racing fans. To which I say, why are you? What what do you expect? Like these are multi million dollar cars. No one's gonna like do a rags to riches racing story. I mean, maybe some people are. Um, yeah, and it's pretty indicative but, that, like like I mentioned earlier, that uh, since his dad got that first Ralph Lauren deal because they were both bidding on a car, and his dad likes cars, his yeah. son was like, can I go go-kart racing once? And his dad's like, looks like you're going to be an F1 Formula racing driver. <laughs> and the kid, like even in interviews, is so apathetic in every fucking video. Like, I know that uh, being a race car driver must be difficult for various reasons, but your uh, emotions aren't monotone when you're being interviewed about a dream job. 
Someone made a um, 10 minute compilation of him uh, saying, you know, in an interview, 10 minutes of this. You know, 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 you know. Oh, man, that is fucking hypnotic. And then the the top comment is my favorite part when he says, you know, my favorite part when he say, you know. Yeah, uh, his dad in uh, 2018 bought the F1 team Force India, which was in financial troubles, and so he paid $120 million for it. So when he bought that, the creditors were be paid were to be paid in full. All four and five jobs at the team were saved, and uh, now Lance Stroll is the driver of that team. Yeah, huh. imagine you work for that team. This guy pays $100 million to keep it afloat. Right. And then you say, no, your son can't drive a race car for our team. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> his stipulation was his son, who just has, like, almost no experience, gets to be a driver. Well, his son has lots of experience, um, but it, it, it's it's all... It's, it's be- an F3 or whatever. Yeah, it was an F3. Like, he, he won some junior championships, but, again, clearly, like, he grew up where you know most kids aren't like i should i'm gonna give racing a try and then just have that uh you know anything other than a bike or illegal drag racing like you're you're not gonna be like i'm gonna give that a try and suddenly have that available to you yeah and also if you do that you don't have to then spend the rest of your life doing it because your dad is a insane passionate extremist and wants you to fucking be an f1 racing driver instead of a human being i I don't even think it's his dad, like, being an extremist on him. It's just, you know, if I get you a pony, will you shut up? Like, he's clearly just giving his kids whatever they want. He gave his daughter a pop career, and he gave his son a racing career um, that they're both bad at. And There's another Daily Mail article from 2017, and it's about uh, Kimberly Garner, 27, looks sensational in a tiny black bikini as she coaches up to F1 driver Lance Stroll, 18, on 200 million super yacht in Italy. So Lance Stroll is like, hey, Dad, can I take the yacht? And his dad's like, sure. And this uh, 27-year-old's like, I wouldn't mind being naked around you for a ride <laughs> on your yacht. And the best thing is, is that in the comments of that article, you got people being like, you know, since he's been fucking a lot more, he's been driving a little bit better. So <laughs> I feel like maybe, you know, if he gets his dick out of his pants a little bit more, he might be winning some more races. And you know what? I, they're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> I, I get it. You take a bit more risks when you have a fun life, if you know what I mean. Um, But yeah, when it comes to uh, Lance Stroll, we will come back to Silas Cho and, and his... um textile family industry novel denim and to see what if any if not several labor violations that they've contributed to and there's a video of lance stroll making poutine from this year in montreal and that canadian fuck can't even make good poutine <laughs> he is uh, very bad at it and to be fair he's 20 years old so oh, man, it's that's an indictment yeah he's seriously if uh, you're canadian and you like this family uh you're an american to me <laughs> We're only fifty one seconds into it. And that's after <laughs> are I played people, it for a while before. Are the people this. linking to specific times in the video? Um well, here, I'm gonna skip to It'll about like, four minutes fifty four seconds in. You know, 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 you
Yeah, if you look at uh, Lance Stroll and the immediate Bing results, it it goes uh, 18 points, 12th place. Average start position, 16, 11th place. Average finish position, 10, 7th place. Uh, zero wins, least in league. <laughs> yeah. He has one collision related, did not finish. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. Uh, my name is Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. Thank you very much for listening, and you'll come back next week, and so will we. Everybody, this is Robert Kubica. I have an announcement for Lance Stroll. Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, Lance Stroll with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash. Daddy's cash, got no hope for Arkansas. Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, Lance Stroll with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash. Daddy's cash, ain't no hope for Arkansas. Mr. Kupitzer, the Polish Vito Corleone. Arkansas, come here to Uncle Kupitzer. Let's fuck with Stroll. He owns his lonely daddy's heart so he can get his cars in close. But daddy can't buy talent for him. Daddy's cash is all he knows. Mr. Stroll, Sister Stroll, it's the troll. Williams Hope, let's suppose you could drive. Single podium could grow. Teenage boy, difficult. You're dumb and think you're in control. Other pay drivers like Sergey know they suck so they don't hold on. I'm up on, I'll jump on. This dumb song, yes. let's jump on Lens the rapper, engineers, they get no chance to gather Information from this scrapper That is tech, so that don't matter Paris penis has some cash as well So here I am at last Got no seat, but it's okay Cause I took dump inside this car Total pick me up, replace the pot As soon as contracts are How's it feel, stroll to take over The car of number two Paris Be prioritized like your dance Ferrari's over you Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, land stroll with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash. Daddy's cash, got no hope for Arkansas. Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, land stroll with daddy's cash. Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash. Daddy's cash, ain't no hope for Arkansas. Alonso, Alfonso, Ocon, Rapper, then Nando On the track to outpace stuff a fandom Give it to, leave it to, give it to Nando Two world titles, triple crown, pseudo come Lewis and his Abu Dhabi celebration to them Corrad McTheron and piece of shit Hamilton, leave Alonso in a shit box to be at the front I'm gonna miss F1, not miss F1, not gonna disappoint But is it F1 when I'm gone? Spaniard, replay Spaniard, replay Spaniard It's me at heart, radio messages forever for the family Nando be the prima donna gang and it's so sadly Kevin and his rights and incidents He'll trigger me with rage incidents if you don't take it damn easy Kevin is scared of spiders Oma is better driver I'm Wintersteiner, I'm mad ran Oh mate, they has the fiber I grill the grid with my spit kiss Like brown split, yes, good night I lie about the fuel tank to give Kevin a better ride Ha, Hülkenberg, suck my boner Signs and Nando off the throne Bring the grid girls to my home I'm on Tinder with my phone Ferrari is in my car All the money's in the jeans I stand by Roman, no matter who he crash We a better team Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash Daddy's cash, Lance throw with daddy's cash Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash Daddy's cash, got no hope for Arkansas Daddy's cash, bought a team with daddy's cash Daddy's cash, Lance throw with daddy's cash Daddy's cash, boy ain't got no talent cash Daddy's cash, ain't no hope for Arkansas